but this idea that, you know, if we're strength and condition coaches or, you know, fitness coaches, that we put ourselves at the service of other athletes, that we're supporting that. And to a, to a large extent, I, 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 I disagree with that because it applies a subordinate relationship instead of a partnership, instead of a collaboration. And I don't put myself, quote, at the service of athletes. I work with my athletes because I've chosen for myself the professional goal of maximizing human performance. Hello there, I hope you're doing well. It's Steve Ingham here and a very warm welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. I'm a sports and performance scientist and that means that I've supported athletes and coaches throughout my career in pursuit of performance and achievements and goals and potentially a podium. I've also supported high performance teams both in sports and in business And in this podcast, we want to speak to Olympic champions, Formula One drivers, top level sports coaches, people who are in support of other people. In this week's conversation, I speak to Martin Bouchai and George Perry, both authors of their upcoming book, E-Goals. And just in case my enunciation isn't good enough, E-Goals is a blend of ego and goals. The subtitle being Exercising Your Ego in High Performance Environments. Now, Martin has been a real leader in applied sports science and research over the last 20 years, particularly in team sports. And George is a track coach and writer based in the US. And they've teamed up to explore the notion of how we manage, utilize and harness our sense of self, identity and achievement in roles which are inherently in support of others achieving. They've done this with a powerful collection of interviews and reflections from support staff from around the world with an accumulated experience level of over 2,000 years. And they've assimilated that into this powerful book. Their writing and reflections resonated deeply with me, and yet this conversation actually challenged me too. There is an urge for us to perhaps by default be too humble sometimes, but is a sense and a case created in this book for us to be a little bit bolder with the experiences and insights. We need to find ways of maybe not getting ahead of ourselves too. There is a balance to be had then, a tightrope almost, almost a dial for which we have to find a better way to manage that. And Martin and George's exploration of ego is a valuable contribution to our craft. <laughs> Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. George, how are we both? Martin, are you all right? Very, very good. Thank you. And thanks for having us. Now, George, you're over in the US. T- tell us how, how things are over there. Things are going pretty well here. You know, it's just another another hot summer in the middle of the, of the US. So it's it, it's good to be on a podcast and get inside for a little bit. <laughs> so just, just for those people who don't know you both, um, could you just give us a bit of an introduction, give us a bit of a hint to your, your background? Martin, do you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, background, so I'm, I'm a mix between a sports scientist, researcher, but also applied strength conditioning coach or, or whatever. And I've been working in different, in different roles over the last uh, 15, 20 years. I've been um, working in handball, uh, which is big in, in France, Spain, uh, Scandinavia. Uh, as a strength coaching coach, I've been lecturing, 
I worked uh, more as a sports scientist researcher in Aspire in Qatar, uh, then been head of performance at uh, Paris Saint-Germain for, for six years. Now I'm working with the Kidman Lab, more doing some research for, for clubs from outside, leading the, the research innovation and also consulting for, for Lille uh, in, in France as well. So pretty, pretty a lot of variety in, 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 in my, my different jobs. But that's what keeps me moving to get bouncing from the, the field to the more re- applied research. Yeah, and our uh, paths have crossed numerous times over the last couple of decades. But George, this is the first time we've met. So how are you? Tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. I've, uh, I've worked on the performance slash coaching as well as the business side of the sports world for the last 10 years, primarily in track and field slash athletics. But over the, over the course of that time, I've either coached or done some sort of business consulting project in just about any sport out there. So I think at this point, it's safe to say I've done every job in the sports industry except actually be an athlete. Um, I was never much of an athlete at any sort of level, even in high school. Got into sports very much through the back door. Um, after college, I was an officer in the U.S. Navy for five years, had a brief stint at law school, then found my way into the sports industry, and I have stuck with it since then. Um, over the last four to five years, a lot of my work has focused on writing, uh, everything from opinion and analysis articles to a lot of content marketing. And it was in the context of my sports writing that I linked up with Martin and this book started to take shape. All right. Interesting. So without getting too meta on all of this, but I can, I can imagine we might go deep in some of this conversation about this this book. So so the book we're going to feature, discuss around today, E-Goals. E-Goals, Exercising Your Ego in High-Performance Environments. And it's an interesting one from the point of view, um, I, I find it uncomfortable when someone says, oh, tell me about your background. Tell me about, just, just give us a bit of a background about yourself. I find it a little bit uncomfortable saying, I'm a dad. I'm a caring husband. Uh, I live here. I like cycling. Do you know what I mean? As in a little bit of indulgence about who you are. Just as a point of of note, just there in that introduction, you've talked about the jobs you've done and we attach that sort of identity to it. Um, Am I immediately into the the topic that you've been exploring over the last couple of years around this ego? I think it's a bit, I think it's a, I think it's definitely a related topic, you know, and so, so much of the reason why the book came to be is because we do wrap so much of our identity into our jobs. I mean, it's where we spend most of our days. It's where we spend most of our waking hours. And so, and, you know, we choose the job based on what we're interested in, what we're good at and how we can fulfill our values and really kind of find not just a way of putting food on the table for ourselves and our families, which is obviously important. But satisfying our brains, you know, putting our minds to good work. And that's an important decision because there's a lot of a lot of happiness revolves around that. And a, therefore, a lot of your identity revolves around that. Someone who is unhappy at work, probably going to bring that home with them, probably going to take that into the rest of their lives. Um, and so, yeah, that idea, you know, I, I don't think it's possible. And I, I definitely don't think it, it would be a good thing to try to dissociate what you do professionally mm-hmm. from who you are. Because when those two things are merged, then you have a healthy sense of self and a healthy appreciation for your ego and the role it has in your life. Um, so, yeah, th- there are some cultural aspects that that's always the first thing we go to when we ask someone, tell me about yourself. But it, it serves a purpose. You know, I think there is a reason why we, we respond the way we do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Martin, did, was the, where did the idea originate from? What was the itch that you were scratching? Um, yeah, it definitely comes from a struggle I had myself. Um, and as we start uh, the book, we say, this is definitely the, the book I wished I could have read 15, 20 years ago when I was definitely on the top of the curve of this uh, Dunning-Kruger Dunning uh, curve, you know. So back from the uni, PhD, uh, three, four masters, starting to get some publications in. You just think you know everything, you know. And then people are starting to question what, you, what you've done, what you think. And you say, come on, guys, you, you, you see what I've done, you know. So you, you, I, spent, I struggled at some stage to be questioned because I just believed that I knew it all, to be honest. So the overall question is about, yeah, how do you deal with yeah, like people commenting your work or, you know, like, and then having to work uh, with the time with more and more uh, top level athletes not only in the job I currently had for a long time, but also consulting and hearing a lot for my colleagues, my peers, let's say, having more or less the same problem, like ego battles, you know? I think we should do it this. How can you not believe, believe what I think? How can you even question what I, you know, like those, those battles, the, the, the roosters um, battles. And then you said, in the end, we are just so focused on being right rather than just putting ourselves at the service of the athletes of the overall project. That kind of this attitude just derailed ourselves from the actual the actual goal is just to improve people's performance to put 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 ourselves at the service of themselves. And uh, by the way, that's a nice segue to say that I really enjoyed your 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 book, you know, supporting champion because everything is about that is about supporting supporting those champions, putting yourself at the service of others rather than putting yourself at the center. And when you work in elite environment. What happens often is that you, you, you start to get lost in between. What's your real mission? It's about just looking good and making sure you present yourself, you keep the job profile, you have your Instagram, everything, versus keep doing the job right and helping, and helping people. And if, in this case, you have not a clear idea about your ego, who you really are, what are your real values, ambitions, you might just work, you might stay, as I said, sometimes you're in, in the orbit of the real life and the real job. You're just having the wrong battles and focusing not on the, the right things, you know? So back to your question, sorry for the, mm -hmm. the digression, but it really came from, I needed help for myself and then I needed help as well to deal better, to improve my relationship with people who were in this ego orbit, self-centered types of world because you still have to, Everyone has to work together. You have to, you know, pull the boat in the same direction to be efficient. So really, it kind of came organically throughout my years. Would be both academia and also being in in the in the elite world. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, we we all been through through that. But I had such a a need to get answer to hear from my peers about how they were dealing that it became at the start just me reaching out to people. Uh, phone calls, messages, hey, by the way, how do you deal with this? And the people I was co contacting were so, so good and so much better than me. And dealing with those situations, I said, oh, I have so much, so much to learn as well on this aspect about dealing with your own, your own ego and the, the, the pride and everything. I said, I'm going to take notes. I'm going to take notes about what the, the, this, uh, this advice is from, from my peers. And those notes became a start of uh, an article, 
And then I said, okay, I should ask more people. And then it turned into, okay, let's do proper interviews. And then let's, let's do, let's do, let's do a book. It's such a, it's such an interesting topic from the point of view that I'm ambitious. Um, I've got drive. Uh, I want to achieve. I want to have a, almost a, a vision of my future self looking back at my life and thinking about having lived a rich life. But I'm not going to necessarily be able to do that, or at least in my head, if I sit back, mm-hmm. if I undervalue myself, um, I have to back myself. But but the, the, the career that we live in and we've chosen is one of altruism, one of support, um, which you could you could say is so is countering you know, it's, it's opposite. It's counter to that selfish drive, which potentially helps an athlete. We, we've certainly seen that in the research in the British system of super winners. So, you know, the super elite athletes is that they are, they are more self-focused. They, they are naturally and, um, and quite intensely. So um, it, it doesn't always sit for those people who are in support of other people um, in that sense. Is that what you are sort of struggling with? Because, you know, some of your early chapters were about we're in this environment that cultures ego, but we can't be overly egotistical or self-focused. I mean, I kind of went too extreme on the kill your ego, keep it at the door because I suffered enough or too much from from it so that's why uh i read five times uh, ego is the enemy you know for example from my early day i was so much like okay this is too much now we have to <laughs> we have to do something yeah i agree i think that the um it's an interesting idea this dunning kruger effect we've got this spike in overconfidence in relation to our experience and then there's just this massive dip down where actually we don't back ourselves <laughs> i we almost need a linear line of appropriate confidence in respect to our um our abilities and our competence i I see that mid-career a lot of people who just full of doubt and questions well well one concept that we come back to a lot in the book is that ego a, a healthy ego is it's a reality check and that you know the dictionary definition of ego which very few people can define ego anywhere close to what the term actually means. But the dictionary definition of ego is that it's those functions in the mind that interface and relate between our internal world, our identity, and the external world. So when it's properly developed, the ego is a reality check because it's matching what we have going on in here and what we're able to do with the reality of that in the outside world. So when you're really high you know, on the Dunning-Kruger curve early in your career, the that delta goes in it's it's off in one direction you think you're much better than you are you're distorted from reality later on you start to come down you have that you know mid career questioning yourself you're equally distorted you're just as far away from reality as you were before just in the different direction but because i think in many ways we have a um i think in many ways we have a bias against ego in our culture we praise the people that are underconfident and we condemn the people that are overconfident. But both people are equally far from the reality of where they should be matching 
their level of how they project themselves with the reality of what they are able to do and what they're able to accomplish. So ego is that reality check. And the more it reflects what's real, the healthier it's going to be both internally and in your external relations. Mm. Do you want to just give us that definition again there, George? I mean, there is a couple that we looked at and, you know, we, we put them right up in the first chapter of the book because we saw such a wide variation of definitions. But in short, what, what they all had in common was that the ego is the functions that relate the internal self to the external world. It's what places the self in reality. And, and, you, and, and what, what, what one of the things we found interesting is that the dictionary definitions of ego, once you kind of got past all the wacky Freudian stuff from 120 years ago, is that they were, they were very objective and neutral. But then when you look at how our contributors defined ego, they made it into a package deal. They tucked a lot of negatives into their definition. You know, people say, oh, ego is that thing that gives you an inflated sense of self. Ego is that thing that makes you paranoid. I mean, Ryan Holiday does this. He says ego is the enemy, but he puts two or three negative terms in his definition. Well, of course, if you define something as a negative, it's going to be your enemy. You never give it a chance. So when we approach ego as a neutral, then we kind of get into what Marm was saying, that you kind of work your way off of the two extremes and you figure out how it can be beneficial to you when it is neutral, objective, and, and a reality check. This sort of definition is is interesting because it challenges our preconceived ideas of where perhaps we have misinterpreted and we are applying this term to an array of situations and behaviours that perhaps it, it doesn't it doesn't tr- bear true to the original definition. So the sort of feelings or terms that you're commonly referring to, or that was referred to by a number of your interviewees around narcissism or hubris, um, that sense of excessive interest in your own self or excessive interest or excessive self-confidence, um, that we would probably abhor those quite a bit because they're a bit aggravating or that they can drive a lot of behaviours that mean that you're putting your opinions th- first, you're putting your needs above those of the groups, and that tends to talk, that tends to erode some of the team ethics uh, that that you're um, referring to. But my my um, my learning here is that the ego is the mismatch. It's not necessarily, or it's the it's the relationship that we are referring to. Yeah, it's the relationship, and and narcissism is the mismatch. But in the same way, so is self deprecation. I mean, an, an athlete yes. or a coworker who is underconfident is just as frustrating to me, you know, as a manager, as a coach, as the one who's way out over his or her skis. Because if I look at someone I'm working with, I'm like, I know you can do more. If only you believed in it, that person is undercutting our team goals as much as the person who's boasting and getting nothing done. That's an interesting one because, because um, we've got part of one of our courses around critical skills of working with people. And it sent me on a bit of a rabbit warren looking at humility and the definition of humility around the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. And that's when I looked at that, I thought that's not necessarily how I view humility. It's an appropriate, uh, calm sense of self, um, as opposed to I'm going to deliberately underplay my value 
which that doesn't seem like a healthy uh, perspective to take. Absolutely. And Martin has a great story about humility in the book um, with, uh, you know, an episode that happened with Edinson Cavani in the locker room after a, a very difficult loss. And it really got me thinking about that exact topic, Steve. And, and I look back at it like, you know, humility is one of those words that, like you say, we use it to mean self-abasement. We use it to mean, you know, groveling and lowering yourself. So I kind of looked into the word. I like words. You know, the root of the word humility is hummus, you know, soil, the ground. It means of the, of the earth. It really means being rooted, being rooted in reality. And so being having humility, being humble in the original sense of where that word comes from and how that word developed over the course of the language means you're staying in touch with reality. You know, it's, it's Aristotle putting his hands towards the ground, saying reality is here. Meanwhile, Plato is off in his own little, is up in the clouds, completely divorced from reality, thinking God knows what. Can you share that story with us, Martin? Yeah. So it's every time I talk about this story, I can have almost uh, I shivers, you know, because uh, it's and it's a player that I really admire as a, as a person and what he gives on on the pitch and the overall attitude. So I think it's important to get it in the context of who. Uh, Edison uh, Cavani is as well, you know. But yeah, everyone knows the, the story of the, the, the la, la remontada when uh, Paris won. We won the first leg against Barcelona, and then on the on the way back, everyone, us, me included, we thought we're gonna win the, the second and get qualified for the next round. And <laughs> as happens sometimes in sports, uh, even against the odd. Uh, it happened that 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 we we, we lost, and um, you can always put the the reason of, of of a defeat on many many factors, whether it be on the pitch before, and yeah. But anyway, so the the, the what what Edinson did when we came back at four five a.m. Uh, in 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 the locker, he just um, he just stole some some tape in in the physio room, and uh, in in this locker you have a lot of like in. Almost all the lockers in, in in teams, you know, you have slogans, words, uh, ambition, winning, uh, you know, like those uh, those um, uh, motivating type of uh, of quotes or sentences. Uh, but there was a word that was missing, and that that's one he wrote with uh, this tape. And this word was uh, humility. And um, it just just says it just said it all with uh, with one word. Probably, this is yeah. before or after the defeat? After the defeat, coming back, coming okay. back after the defeat, and it was kind of yeah. That's probably what's what we 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 missed from we we missed during this not only the match but probably the period between the matches, you know. And uh, yeah, it's it's a incre- incredible incredible story, and yeah, I have you know, and even you hear it from my voice, you know, every time I go through through this story and. Um, um, I've been super happy that I'm I'm now working with uh, with another club, and one of the first words that you see when you enter the locker is actually humility. You know, so that's that's a pretty pretty nice way to to get into a new new club and new project to see to see this uh, first thing in the locker. Yeah, and I certainly like the um, the findings from Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, on this, um, where. The level five leader, the, those people who outstrip the competition in companies, they had a paradoxical blend of humility and 
driven personal will. So there was a combined uh, effect there where, okay, I have a I have a grounded view of myself, but I am going to make things happen. <laughs> uh, there's a no, no nonsense approach to that. You can, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that you're pulling your punches. It means that you can still achieve in that sense. And if I can share an, another story uh, on that, more linked to what you just said. Um, of course, the, the two of us, uh, Steve, we know very, very well, uh, at least his work and of um, uh, Enrico Di Prampero, who was the, who was, he's still, he, he's still with us, of course, like, but he, he's kind of the, 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 the leader in the, the physiology, all his papers in the late 70s, early 80s, energetic cost of running, I think. The two of us, we, we must have cited him uh, 50, 100 times, you know. For sure. These are those. Anyway, so I was lucky enough to meet this guy in 2010, working at the French Football Federation. And we invited him when he was just starting to talk about this metabolic power concept, and a lot of cool things, and invited him. So he came straight to the, he responded to the invitation. And for me, imagine that the, the privilege to meet Professor Di Prampero. So we, we invite him for, for a lunch. And of course, I've read every single every single paper he he wrote. I know his uh, H H index uh, score, how many you know, like I know everything from him. He's kind of a, a legend. And we talk about many things. And at some stage, I ask him, by the way, what's the the paper you're the most happy with? The thing, the one you think has made an impact? And he's first, he doesn't even understand why I'm asking this. And then, what well, I I kind of talk about the citation index, the H factor. He doesn't even know what it is. And the guy has probably the biggest age, age factor than, than any of us. He, he doesn't, give a, doesn't give a shit. He doesn't even know what it is. And again, you say, okay, this guy changed the world of physiology. And, and then when I said, okay, but so what, 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 what has been your drive? And he said, I was just happy because I was always, that's the stuff I liked that always been my passion. And I just wanted to, to help the other than the community to do things better. How good is that? How good is that? Yeah, I mean, we've met a number of people across the years that have um, that you find genuinely intimidating at a scientific conference. Uh, you you go somewhere, you present your work, and the term that you'll recognise, Martin, is you defend your work, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is that it, you, you ask. Um, you're not necessarily frightened of presenting. You're frightened of answering the questions because it tends to be an attack. And I, when I was growing up in in that world, I, I'm not a I'm not a published researcher. I, I, I'm um, I'm an applied sports scientist. I have some publications, but not many. But I just thought this is this isn't a good, healthy environment to be around, where it is who who can ask the most attacking question as a marker of their status and their standing and their knowledge and a showcase of their ability above, above you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but we all know a number of people that, that transcend that, that have this humility, like a Clyde Williams, professor Clyde Williams, who, who has a calm authority and, and a will to support others. Um, they, they are those level five people in that sense to me. Um, let me let me move on now, and I'm, I'm interested to think about the kind of cast of people that you have interviewed. You've you've rallied together uh, so many people who have lived and breathed and 
and been the very essence of the backroom support st- staff in um, high-performance teams. Was there anything that, that surprised you when you started to pull together the, the feedback and the responses from the interviewees? Mm, uh, uh, yeah, I can answer at two, two levels. The first surprise was like how interested and happy to be involved people were. And you were also one one of one of one of them, of course. You know, I just I was just yeah, I couldn't believe how people were were just like ah oh, when they came back to me. Said, of course, this is the book we need as well. That's who oh, no one I never read. So just the interest that showed that we were kind of touching, triggering something uh, that was kind of needed, or at least that raised a, a lot of interest uh, because I have probably less than ten percent of the people like contacted either declined or did not respond just because they were, they were busy. So the engagement has been in, incredible. Um, and then, as George said, uh, the response were almost were very, very negative overall about the, 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 the place of, of Ego. Uh, but that might be also as well by the fact that I introduced the, 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 the question. I was asking a lot of questions about the, the ego F-ups and the problems that people had with themselves, the problem they had with others. So a lot of questions were more directed to the problems because I was still uh, rereading uh, ego is the enemy at, the, at this moment, you know. So if I had the time to, to discuss more the, 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 the global vision with, with George, because at the start I did that, I was on my own, you know. And it's only when I got George's input that we kind of decided together and thanks to his great input on that to kind of balance a bit more the book and bring the, 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 the ego, the positive side of the ego at the right, at the right place. Because as, as we just discussed now, you, you need, of course, of course you need, you need an ego for your ambition and you need to, to be able to push and, uh, and, and use it as a drive. So that was probably missing a little bit in the question. And that's also why, the, the direction of the response were a bit very very negative, um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been incredible, and I think the 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 longer back to a bit this deep Pompero story, like the, the longer and the the longer the, the people have been in, in the industry, the all the older, the the better the, the responses. You know, you could feel like the the the, the older generation um, there would be there would have way more nuances in their responses. They would have yeah, you see the the, the wise the wiseness of of those older practitioners was, was brilliant and again that just made me understand that I still had so much to 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 learn or to 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 realize uh, on, on that so that's been incredible incredible mm. and what about from your side George as you as you started to look into this this world of support teams what were your realizations as you're processing the material. It was very much Martin's second point. Just I was really taken aback by how negative the views were on ego. And at, you know, as I read through these over and over and over and over again, I just started thinking about like you know just some of the missed opportunities professionally and and also personally that these conflicts within people have persisted for so long, and that they have this at their root. I think is this misconception of ego and this misconception of the role that a positive forthright self should play in our personal professional lives. So there are times where I just got angry at these people. There are times where I was just disappointed and saddened for them, but also on behalf of the industry, like, man, how much better off could we have been? You know, how much further down the road would we be if there was 
if people were proud of their ambition, proud of their achievements, proud of their success, but then also, you know, on kind of like, you know, the other side of that coin also didn't waste so much time with the bull stuff that masquerades as ego, the prestige factors, the status factors, the showing off that defensive aspect you, you talked about. I mean, that, that, that's harmful both to people like me who are advocates of ego because it takes the oxygen out of the room, but obviously it's not good for productive work environment either. So, you know, like we talked about earlier, that Delta, if, you know, you know, if more people brought the appropriate approach and evaluation of ego to the work, we'd have less of those egotistical jerks who are chasing social media likes and status scores and, you know, doing power plays at the job to get a really cool job title. We'd have fewer of them, but we'd also have fewer people who are, you know, kneecapping themselves because of this um, kind of misguided pursuit of humility and self-abasement. So I'm, I'm glad we're able to hopefully make a dent and make an impact, but it was difficult um, at times just to kind of, to, to, to get a sense of how how widespread these ideas are, how persistent they are. So I'm I'm trying to process what you've said there because I'm I'm almost wondering whether we've got a byproduct of the environment in high performance that thou shalt not talk positively about yourself comes from. Uh, the idea I'm in service of other people. I'm here to sort support people. There, you've, you've mentioned the 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 kit man in the book. Uh, you know that they play such an important role, and they're they're always praised, but they're always referenced as sort of the you know from the kit man to the chairman. You know they're sort of the margins of of the the basic role. You don't see the kit man running around applauding on the pitch after the after the game. And I think sometimes we're so allergic to that sense of, I've taken some praise for the work that I've done because I'm there just to support. Um, I wonder whether we just haven't got that subtlety in being able to differentiate the two. For example, I know that a lot of football clubs, a lot of rugby clubs, a lot of, you know, US based sports like basketball, heard from David Martin just recently on this topic where they will just have a blanket ban on any external communications. <laughs> even if they're giving value to the world, even if they're giving value to the profession, they'll say, no, we cannot have any of that. Um, it doesn't seem particularly sophisticated in its, in its uh, output. I, I think, and yeah, that, that's a, a, another topic I've always been very interested in, in how, let's say, yeah, staff use the club to build themselves a profile. And this is where, again, you see the people that are honest. And of course, uh, I think everyone has the right to, to put on, on LinkedIn his actual job title and what he does, because that's, that's factual. Uh, but then uh, using, you know, putting yourself with the players uh, on, on Instagram, you're going to have likes that are not linked to your work, but just because you're with someone, you know, and this is how, then, then where you put the limit, you, you can do, you can put one picture a week or three, three pictures a day. And that's why I think there's so much room for, for chaos or chaos in terms of how staff can use and communicate about what they do. They just decided to say, no, 
you know, as a, because you cannot trust people. You cannot just say, okay, I'm sure you're going to be able to like to be diligent with uh, your use of social media and you're going to do the things right. Of course not. Because then, you know, you put a finger and then you have the whole arm and the full body into like me uh, type of style. So it's, it's unfortunate, uh, but I think it has to happen because people just don't can't behave uh, normally. You just get trapped into the, the celebrity cycle, you know? And, and Steve, you know, going along with that, I want to come back to you know, how we view our jobs in the, in the backroom staff. Or, and, and I think it applies to so many other fields. And, and you, know, you, could, you could apply this to medicine. You can apply this to engineering, to tech, to finance. Um, and, you know, I, that's part of what we hope this book will will do. But this idea that, you know, if we're strength and condition coaches or, you know, fitness coaches, that we put ourselves at the service of other athletes, that we're supporting that. And to a, to a large extent, I, 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 I disagree with that because it applies a subordinate relationship instead of a partnership, instead of a collaboration. And I don't put myself, quote, at the service of athletes. I work with my athletes because I've chosen for myself the professional goal of maximizing human performance. And I work with my athletes to do this. I'm not at their service. They don't tell me what to do. We work together to make them run faster, jump higher, get injured less frequently, rehab, et cetera. It's not a subordinate relationship. I'm not giving anything to them. I make sure that they or their parents or their club pay me generously. Um, I'm worth it. But I'm also worth the accomplishment that I get out of it. And when we're in the sports environment, what more could we want professionally? Why are we here if not to see the athletes that we work with get faster, be more resilient, and raise trophies at the end of the season? There's nothing altruistic about that. It's very selfish, and we have earned it. And just because a strength and conditioning coach isn't next to Bonucci as he raises the Euro 2020 trophy doesn't mean that he didn't effing earn the right to be there because he's that good. And, you know, he might not come right out and say it, or maybe he will, I don't know, but there's no, there's no service. There's no altruism. And, you know, I mean, this is, this kind of gets to me at a couple levels. Cause I'm a, I'm a military veteran and in the United States in particular, we always say, Oh, thank you for your service. You sacrificed so much. It's like, no, I didn't. That was the job I wanted. It was a challenge I wanted. I was rewarded. I, I saw the world. I worked my ass off. Um, I met my girlfriend. It worked out really well for me. I didn't give anything up. I got what I wanted out of it. And that's the same attitude I take with my athletes. I'm not serving them. We're working together because we have a shared goal. And if our goals start to diverge, one of us is out. I found that quite challenging myself. Um, I, I like hearing challenging views that, that will stretch my, my sense there. That's probably more bullish than I'm used to in, in some ways. Um, uh, very specifically, um, uh, Martin mentioned How to Support a Champion, uh, the, the book I wrote in 2016, and it's got a chapter on altruism. And I dance along this idea that I'm in service of other people. I mean, I'm in support. I don't stand on the podium. I don't win the medal. Um, I'm there to to enable others to to succeed. But by doing that, I want to be excellent at my job. I want the I want the permission to journey as a as a journey partner with somebody up the top of the mountain, but I don't stand at the very peak. Um, I I don't take put the plant the the flag at the top and and sing the national anthem. I'm I'm probably at base camp four and 
happy to take a picture from there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is that dynamic that I'm I'm feeling uh, a little bit challenged with there. Well, and, and I think that when you when someone gets into the line of work and they mismatch those values, when it stop when when they realize for one reason or another, I want to be the guy on the podium. I want to be the guy on the front page of the newspaper. I want to be the guy that you can see in the background of the TV camera at the Champions League, you know, semifinal match. When that becomes your goal, that's not what you went to college for. That's not what you did all the sleepless nights for. So the satisfaction comes from like, you know, I know what my values are. I know what I want. I'm going to achieve that. Achieving those values doesn't entail being on the podium or having 2.5 million Instagram followers. The achievement of those values is being in the car on the ride home and being like, dude, we did it. Whereas for other people, achieving their values does put them front and center. You know, and, and there's a phrase that we use a lot in the book. It's you know from the programming world, garbage in, garbage out. That's the story of ego. If you give your ego bad values and bad goals, you're going to get some really bad behavioral and mental output. If your idea of what my ego needs is Instagram likes, you're going to do some dumbass stuff to get them. But if what your ego needs is that sense of satisfaction that you just described, and it sounds like you uh, lay out in, in good detail, then you will be completely satisfied by the proper fulfillment of your values, and you won't need to, t- you won't need the extraneous um, prestige and status aspects that too many of us get distracted and chase after. One of the phrases that. Again, it's a quote at the beginning of one of the chapters in How to Support Champion. Is it egotistical that I've mentioned How to Support Champion in the last two, two, three minutes twice now? Um, but it, it is um, be nothing, do nothing, say nothing, and you'll never be criticised. And that sense of if I put my head above the parapet, then I'm likely to have some criticism about doing something. <laughs> you know, to avoid that completely, I suppose, would be true to the definition of humility, that I'm just going to stay out of the way. But then potentially, I'm not going to accomplish anything. I'm not going to make mistakes. I'm not going to learn from it. I'm not going to have a a, a growth of uh, arc through my life. That's, that's, that's probably a place where I'm much more comfortable, that I'm willing to test myself. And I probably curl up in a ball every now and again if I receive some criticism, but I'll get over it relatively quickly and kick on and make another mistake. Yeah, that's part of the the of course the growth and also part of being true to yourself. And this is where you know you have a and we all work with people like this who put the security and keeping the job uh, before uh, posturing their ideas or even their values, or even you know, not, the, not, not even at the level of the values, but at least their ideas. So as you said, as long as you keep saying what you really think and you push your ideas forward, you put yourself in the position of being criticized or being disliked. So depending on where you put this, this limit, what is more important, keeping the job versus being true to yourself, then you're gonna to have to choose. You're gonna choose if you expose yourself or not, you know. And there are people that are definitely happy with the job as they're by very, very far the their first uh, goal. So of course they're gonna shut their mouth and just smile and wave and let's and let's wait let's wait for the for the next day. 
And I don't think you can really criticize those people because everyone has the truth. Everyone can do what he, what he wants, you know. Uh, but when you are more on the other side and you have this ability to, to free yourself from the job aspect and saying, okay, I'd rather say what I have to say. I'd rather push my ideas where I want to go there. And if people are not happy with, I may have to leave or I may be sacked one day, but that's part of the game. And then you just keep moving on. And that's why in the end, this is back to your comment. This is what makes you grow because as always, you know, growth occurs during uh, the, the hardest periods of your life would be personal or prof professional. And it has to be like this. Stay true to yourself, but accept. You have to accept that sometimes you can lose a job or lose a relationship. Depends on, it's always a, a matter of balance. But I think in the end, when you get a bit older uh, and, you, and you look back, it's probably more important to understand what you have achieved as a person than the number of times you just say yes to keep a logo on your shirt, you know? And what Martin just talked about there, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, if, if it's very much the theme of the book, it's where the book builds to, and it's, and it's kind of the overarching factor in this whole conversation we've been having. It's separating the work that you do from the job that you have. You know, going back to, you know, the very first thing you asked, Steve, we all mentioned the work that we're doing. Before we mentioned who our employers were, the last thing Martin mentioned was PSG and Lille. Um, I've, I've worked for myself, so I don't really have an employer, but that's neither here nor there. But it's the work versus the job. It's the work that fulfills the values. It's the work that you set out to do. It's the work that makes you say, at this job that I'm at, I'm constantly playing office politics. I'm constantly dealing with egos and a-holes all day, and I'm not doing human performance. I'm not, you know, in a different line of work. I'm not doing, you know, analysis or coding or whatever. I'm, I'm doing all the other stuff. And it's being able to say that my work is more important to me than my job, because the work is where you get that sense of fulfillment from, is where you get that sense of productivity from. Your job, yes, your paycheck's important, but particularly in the sport world and in other high performance settings, your job is the logo. It's the title. It's that LinkedIn bullet. And that's where you start getting into more of those compromises and more of the status and prestige because it's like when you start choosing the job over the work, you're choosing that superficial over the profound. You're choosing someone else's ideas of what you should be doing as opposed to your ideas of what you should be doing. And you know, if when you when you're in that situation, that's a pretty difficult conflict that I think a lot of people have. It's, it's one of the things that Martin and I bonded on, bonded over very early is leaving the job that on paper should be your dream job because the work was wrong. Yeah. Or, or your values or your growth arc aren't being nurtured as much. Right. Um, the, the challenge of working myself, leaving, leaving the job that I'd aspired to for 20 years to set up my own company, that, that was a step change for me. But I, I loved the job, loved the team, but actually – I wanted and was hungry for greater growth. And that was what drove me. And, and to be able to add value to sort of more, a, a broader, diverse group of people. Um, it's an interesting one because coming out of the 2012 Olympics, we, we spent a lot of time talking to uh, the practitioners at the Institute of Sport in England. And um, we asked them, what do you do? And they all said, I'm the analyst. I'm the nutritionist. So they talked about the job title. 
And we actually had a journalist who um, who helped us with this, and and she's she was like, no, what do you do? <laughs> what is your function? Yeah. Um, and they, there was a real shaking of the mouse uh, moment where it's like the like the software hadn't quite kind of found the right program um, of uh, what. Uh, no, what do you do? Okay, you are here to fuel athletes. You're here to find tactical edge. And then we would ask them, what, what's that there to do? And it was, again, it was it was quite a momentum uh, builder of, okay, to fuel athletes, to help them train, to help them compete. To And then, then we would say, what is that there to do? Okay, that's there to help them perform or realize their dreams. Uh, or their goals, um, and then what's that there to do? And they were still like, "What are you asking me these questions for?" And and then it was a lot of the uh, a lot of the responses came to like a shared purpose of we're here to try and bring pride to a society, which was much more values driven and purpose driven. But I don't think you can connect to a meaningful purpose through your job title but i think you can through your work in that sense that was that was my translation of what you just described you have to move from that superficial what of the job title to the why you know the why of the job you know what are you really seeking to accomplish and i think when you do that you free yourself from that job title because you realize you know i don't need all the trappings and the logo and you know the cool gym equipment and everything else in order to make an athlete faster, stronger, more resilient. I mean, you, you start to really understand what do you need to do to do the actual thing you want to do. And a lot of those superfluities really fall away pretty quickly. I think when you do the kind of analysis you just laid out. What's your, um, what's your guidance for people having done this research, having done this, um, this thematic analysis almost of, of connecting with these, these people that are living in high performance. What's your, what's your sort of take home message or, or almost coaching advice for them? Uh, again, if I talk more about the learnings, my personal learnings, because as, as, as we discussed, that's something I kind of done selfishly initially, you know, um, it's really about, I think the, the, the old concept about the reality check is, is very important. So, I mean, not putting yourself too low either and trusting your, your, your proper value and, and believe in what you can achieve, but then, but still doing it, uh, well in terms of course, in terms of integrity. So having the ego at the right place to, to help you confront yourself to difficult situations and to difficult people, you know, like not, not to deprecate yourself. But yeah, keeping the disability to to control the, the volume, and that's a that's a, a key central central aspect of of the book as well. When we talk about ego volumes, so and understanding when you need to turn this volume up, when you are in in some specific situation, and when you have to turn it down, so that you behave accordingly into a context, and you can listen and grow and everything. So um, yeah, this is something that. I have way more, way more, way clearer now in my mind, and where to position myself, and even the, the, those uh, those learnings. It sounds like you're calmer. You, you've, yeah. you're a little bit more content. On this way, definitely. But also, as I, as I said, having read five times, ego is the enemy. I had killed myself 
I have killed my my own my own ego either because <laughs> I thought that was the only option to to deal with such some 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 sort of uh, of chaos. So with what we went through this book, uh, I brought I brought it back. Ego is your friend, but only asking around every now and again. <laughs> and what about you, George? I mean, it's actually the exact phrase you just said, Steve. Um, ego is your friend, and in this line of work, sometimes it's the only friend you've got. So you better make it some. You're, you better make your ego, your identity, something that you can respect and that you can admire, because the moment's going to come where it's just going to be you. And if you have, you know, ground your ego into the into the dirt of humility, into that hummus on the earth, you're going to be worse than alone. So know your ego, love your ego, make it something worth admiring. And, you know, take your life from there. You know, we have a chapter that's called or a section called from ego to YOLO. You know, and, you know, it's true, you know, you, you only live once and your ego is there to remind you of this many times. You know, we, we talk a lot about ambition and drive. Your ego will remind you that you only live once. And sometimes other people's ego will remind you of that, too. And it's a little bit of rebuke if you haven't taken care of your own. So when you only have one life that gets shorter every day, you better damn get it right. I love that. I was struck actually by one of the, the first comments that you made, uh, George, in the book about one of the contribu- contributors um, talking about just that sense of, look, if I say yes to being named in the book, is that my ego's desire being satisfied? And then you just kill it straight away about, no, I have no doubt uh, about this. Um, and uh, I think there's <laughs> there's a bit of me that really understands that, that that as soon as i read that i was like okay this is a, this is going to be interesting um i mean I, I mean i was i mean i wasn't going to lie you know that was a that was joe club's <laughs> comment and i thought it was really interesting when she said that i thought it was joe yeah. i thought it would be joe she's perceptive but, she is but i mean it is 100 the truth certainly four years ago when we thought about running a podcast i'm having an internal tussle about is this the right thing to do is this going to be useful to the world or what are people going to say um i'm having exactly the same thought now as we're creating content to put onto youtube and i think that there's another step change that i've got to try and go to where i'm wrestling with my thoughts about whether i'm getting an excessive um view of myself if you see what i mean probably because of the preconceptions I have of that platform, whereas these conversations are natural and so on, but me looking down a camera and presenting myself or as to the, these are the opinions that I think that you'll find useful is another challenge for me um, to go to that next step. So I, I really resonated with that comment. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's, you know, again, it's, it's how we express our ego and it's, I mean, I've been in a similar place trying to get podcasts off the ground or vlogs or whatever. And I mean, I love writing. I can write all day. It's what I love to do. I don't like writing about myself and I really hate talking about myself. You know, I'm, I'm here to talk about a book, a lot of which, you know, is my ideas. But it's like, if I had to talk about myself, ugh, that just sounds awful, you know? And to me, that's not a conflict with my ego. I mean, if anything, that's, again, that's where we draw the line between ego and narcissism is I like to talk about my work. I can talk about my work all day. 
But other than, you know, the fact that I, you know, like to run and have a dog, uh, there's really not much about myself I really care to talk about. <laughs> there we go. We got the, the we got the backstory, the dog <laughs> and the running. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thank you, Martin. Thank you, George. It's such a hearty read. Um, I, I, when people ask me what the what are the things that, that people are looking for? Um, I'm talking about character and attitude. I talk about uh, team working and self-management. And I think this will really help with all three of those. And there's a there's an equal dose of challenge and support in the book. I felt challenged and I felt supported uh, along the way. We just hope that that, that, that people will, will find value on, on, on the content. But yeah, the, 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 the idea really is to, to bring uh, something on the table that hopefully was not available yet. Um, so that's, that, that, that's the pitch of the book. As I said, that's the book I wanted to read earlier. But also, you know, you have this tendency of now everyone is aware that just doing your, your physiology, your training, your math, your economics, your statistics is not enough to, to succeed in the world of elite sports or elite performance. And you have to work on building people relationship and all those soft skills. So there is a lot out now about those soft skills. But I believe what we've done is, is pretty unique in terms of bringing more than 100 people that have, in average, or in total, 2,000 years of experience in elite sport to talk about something that did not exist yet, is how they were managing themselves and a bit how they were managing themselves with the others. But this self-reflection, those learnings, you get, again, 2,000 years of experience of learnings from people working in, in all the top clubs and, uh, and, and organizations in the world. So hopefully we're bringing something unique in the terms that this is a space where I don't think there were, there were almost nothing available. So again, no, it's not about saying that what we're doing is has been incredibly and the, the best thing you can find, but hopefully this is filling a gap and that will help uh, a lot of people and probably not only in the sports uh, industry. That's really the, the idea we have uh, behind that as well. And I think that speaks to the mismatch that you've you've mentioned. But um, no, thank you so much for joining. But you're a perfect double act, actually. And so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to follow Martin, you can do so on Twitter at Mart1Butch and on his website, martin-bouchite.net. The eGoals book isn't out just yet, but you can find more details at eGoalsBook.com or on Instagram on the same handle. You can follow me on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve and support underscore champs.